Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly dialogue that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. That's T-H-E-D-I-S-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R.com. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vindesh. Today, we're resuming our conversation from last week. We talked about the normalization of dysfunction, how dysfunction has become embedded in our lives in a variety of areas. So people experience dysfunction in relationships, in physical health, in a lot of aspects of everyday living. And we talked about the importance of purpose. Purpose is like a laser. It can focus our attention on what we need out of a particular situation. And it can help us answer the question, is what we're doing serving its purpose? If not, that's a clue that some aspect of our life is dysfunctional. Z, you talked a lot about purpose. You talked about the importance of being able to identify the purpose of whatever it is that we're doing. Why don't you start on that topic? So just give us maybe a reiteration of this concept of purpose and how we can use it to identify dysfunction. Yeah, Ben, I I love physics, right? And you'll hear me talk about it a lot. Physics is the study of natural phenomena, how things come to be. And then from those physics, we give narrative and title and label so we can have an understanding grasp upon our world and we can construct our reality in a way that works for us and promotes our well-being, our survival. When you know the purpose of something, the title of this is that, or the purpose of this is so-and-so, then you understand what it does, what it's supposed to do, and its limits, and what it is not. When we find ourselves in this cycle of dysfunction, we can always deconstruct and walk backwards and say, what is it supposed to do? As I sit here talking to you on a uh, rainy day in in SoCal, I look out and I see people on um, scooters. And I understand that the purpose of the scooter is to transport the person from one point to another. The scooter's doing its job, but what is the problem between it doing its job and getting the person from point A to point B safely? Well, the risk of that travel is the scooter has a singular purpose, but the driver, the navigator, is the problem. That person has to assess their environment, has to assess the relationship they have with other vehicles in their environment and the terrain. The scooter fulfilling its purpose can get you from point A to point B, but also it can transport you to death. And it is not the scooter's fault, but you are using the scooter in a way that you're expecting it to have intelligence. You're expecting it to make decisions for you. You have this miscalculation or mal-narrative of what it's supposed to be. 
We bring it closer to home and something we like to talk about is our health. So right now, there's a crisis of cardiovascular health, heart disease. There's an article the other day that talked about heart disease has gone up uh, many percentage points because of a recalculation of high blood pressure. And they say we've normalized high blood pressure to where they were saying that BP over 130 consistently is normal. Well, it's normal, but it is not healthy. Thus, it is a normalized dysfunction. The heart functions best at a lower pump rate. That's when it functions at its best as described to carry you for X number of years for so many billions of heartbeats. When you work over that threshold, you are pushing it and the dysfunction happens because it won't last as long as advertised. So now we have to look at the whole model of the way we take care of ourselves to bring this healthy nominal back into our life with our health. We can apply that to relationships. People are in sexless relationships, relationships that have little or no communication, relationships that have little or no joy. So we have to look at that and say, what, what happened? How did it get that way? What was the description on the box of relationships for me in my life? And once you clear that up, you can then go back you can deconstruct, uh, reverse engineer where you're at and get to where you want to be. I think this concept of purpose is critical. What I want to expand on is something that you touched on last time. And if we think about the areas of life that are prone to dysfunction, that take a lot of our time and our energy, we touched on a few. So we talked about relationships, which you just mentioned. We talked about career, and we talked about physical health. And what I really liked about our discussion last time is that you gave a very clear purpose for each one of these areas. Relationships are about intimacy. If I'm not getting intimacy out of a relationship with a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's not serving its purpose. It's dysfunctional. If I think about my job, the purpose of a job is to get a paycheck so that I can live, so I can put some food on the table, so I can pay my rent, pay my mortgage. If I'm trying to use that job for a different purpose, I'm using it so that I can get self-esteem or I can get title and status in my community. I'm using it for a purpose that it may not be intended for, and that can also lead to dysfunction. Then if we think about physical health, there are simple tests. Can I easily get up off the ground? Can I climb up a flight of stairs? Can I navigate my life without feeling winded, without feeling physical discomfort? And if so, then my health is functional. So if we start with those simple definitions, I think what's really interesting is in some cases, we've gotten really far away from those definitions. On the relationship side, we've talked before and you've mentioned that a lot of people in certain cultures look at relationships as a way to please their family or to bring families closer together, which has nothing to do with intimacy. Or we look at 
jobs, not so much as a paycheck, but a way to feel fulfilled or a way to have a community of people who support us, who pat us on the back, who we can be friends with. And since we're not using these things the way they're intended, or since they're not fulfilling their intended purpose, it often leads to pain. Yet the intended purpose has become obscured. And what I'd like to hear your thoughts on is how has that happened? How is it in our society we've lost our way in a sense? We've lost the idea of what these things are originally meant to do. Well, then what I'm always striving for is an equanimity of thought and consciousness, to be a good listener. Um, doing that gives me a, a, a good understanding of the people I work with and work for, the people I offer my services to, and simply getting along in this world. And what happens is, is our values are very, um, uh, can be very extreme. Some people do not value intimacy. Um, and that, that, that's hard for oftentimes for us to understand. But in their domestication, in their socialization, that is something, though on a primal level, is essential for human survival. It has been socialized out of people. This idea of nurturing the quiet, yearnings of the being through intimacy, closeness, sensuality, and through different models of socialization, religiousness, uh, all these kinds of things, people don't value it as much. There are people who don't value physical well-being as much, and they traded that for an idea that there will be a better life in the hereafter. And then we, of course, would have to discuss how that came about through colonialism, socialization, uh, cultures being repressed, dominated by people that didn't care about them or whatever. So they were taught, trained to not value their own health and look forward to death. So many religions have an idea that once you die, everything will be okay. So a lot of people that adhere to that slowly lose touch with the valuing of physical health. Other people look at the fear of not having and not having family support overrides their desire for intimacy and sensuality on a very base level. But of course, on a deep, deep, gross level, it's always there, which then you see overall social dysfunction. You see rage, you see anger, you see abuse. And all of this rises about because of the the underlying dysfunction that is underneath what is seems to be functioning well. So it looks like everything's going well on the surface, but underneath there's all these horrible things going on. You can look at any contemporary news feed on churches and cultures where there's extreme behavior, and you will find that underneath the underlying schema is dysfunctional. And that's where we want to really focus on clearing that up so we can then value the thing based on how the physics of our life presented it. We know that our physical body is what transports the 
and manifest the imaginings of our mind. So in order to live a complete life, your body cannot be burdensome to you. So we have an opportunity now to figure out what is living for me. Do I, do I want to have a certain amount of athleticism to act out my life? And do I want to have a life that I have minimal distractions of physical pain and discomfort? Do I want to feel able-bodied so I have fewer incidents of vulnerability? And do I have more options in terms of traveling and experiencing life because my body is a able transporter of the manifestations of my mind? Can I dwell in the simple joy of touch and sensuality and the art of loving and the art of physical expression? Am I fit enough for that? Am I fit physically to exact upon that? Am I fit emotionally to embrace and explore the frontiers of these very basic experiences that nature has provided us with to perpetuate our species? So by looking at our value system, we can start to get that more in line with nature, the physics of being, right? So it's the value system that oftentimes gets disturbed so that the thing is not valued as much or something is overvalued, where intimacy is undervalued, but the idea of the acceptance of others is overvalued, right? Where physical health is undervalued, while um, an outside metric of success is overvalued. So you have to look which one feeds you, which one nurtures the beast, which one uh, is do you find allows you to rest or dwell in a place of contentment. So then you have to rearrange your value system. Part of getting functionality back or separating yourself from dysfunction is an assessment of your values. One point that I think it's important for people to understand is that values are fluid. We're not suggesting that there's only one purpose or only one set of values. And a lot of times what has worked in the past doesn't necessarily work today. Purpose becomes contextual. If you think about the relationship example and intimacy, maybe at times it was important enough to create bonds between two families that that overrode the individual's need for intimacy. And maybe they just put up with it as the cost of the culture or the cost of creating an extended family for whatever the reason may have been. Or if you think about work, there's a whole puritanical idea of work, Z, that you and I have talked about. And this is something that you shared with me, you used to feel. You used to feel very uncomfortable with vacation and downtime because you had this idea in mind that if you weren't working, if you weren't sweating, if you weren't putting in long hours, there was something wrong with you. There was something deficient in your moral fiber. And again, back in the day, that may have been a useful perspective because if we go back 100 years, 200 years, there might have been so much work to do, so little time to do anything else that people needed that narrative and they needed that value system. So I think it's okay that purpose changes, but we have to look at purpose from our needs today. 
And we also have to look at purpose from the standpoint of where do the vast majority of people get tripped up? There always will be exceptions. So relationships for some people might be different than for others. Work for some people, let's say that you're sitting on a $50 million inheritance, you don't need the job to get a paycheck. Maybe you can take that job and try and find a job where you can really express your desire to change the world or solve hunger or do whatever you feel like doing. But when we're talking about purpose today and we're talking about dysfunction, we're talking about the purpose that works for the vast majority of people most of the time. And let's anchor on that because that's where we've seen a lot of people get tripped up when they get away from that basic purpose. With that in mind, Z, I think it would be useful to get into this sense of purpose in a little more detail and maybe provide diagnostics for people. So for example, if we're talking about a relationship and we're talking about intimacy, what does that mean? What's really the definition of intimacy and how can someone gauge whether they've lost that intimacy in a relationship and it's no longer serving the function that it was originally intended to serve? Well, we go back to our basic uh, DPO lessons, right? Our dispassion observer lessons. When all else fails, look at nature. Prime directive, survive, reproduce, improve the species. Only one of those directives will trump the other. To just recap a little bit, you talked about how at one point in certain groups' history, the need to bond families was greater than the need to improve the species. So being a family coalition was far more important than a, a good a, a breeding union because in the immediate that family needed to come to a, a trusted coalition, align their resources, uh, consolidate their assets in order to survive. So if that's not happening anymore, then you can abandon that and say, well, let me focus on the other prime directive, which is reproduce and improve the species. Nature yearns for you to respond to someone you're attracted to, to build that relationship, and to improve your DNA by not inbreeding. Nature does not want you to inbreed. This is something that we can accept. Groups that inbreed do not have strong survival offsprings, strong surviving offsprings. So let's just trust nature. Let's just trust gravity. That's one part of it. And then we can start stepping away and peeling away the part of us that are inherited survival reflexes or trauma. And look at your life and say, well, look, I, I'm not in a desperate survival state. There's not a warring horde waiting to capture me and uh, force me into labor. Um, there's not some apex predator around the corner. So my survival needs are generally well met. Now let's fo focus on your reproductive reflexes. Doesn't necessarily mean you want to go out and have a bunch of kids, but acting out reproduction is a huge part of the human condition. People want to be desired, pursued, attracted to, and have the conquest of a 
viable partner in which they can go through the theater of reproduction, right? And all the things that go on with that all the way down and up to romance. So they want the theater. Romance means the romantic portrayal of life put forth by the Romans, the theatrical portrayal of life. Romantic, the antics of Romans, right? So once everything is okay, when there's no longer any issues of survival, we can then get into the theater and the uh, play of human reproduction, the push, the pull, the capture, the loss, the suffering, the joy. And so that's when we're in a good place. The cool thing about it is that you can decide what that is. The bad thing about it is if you don't decide what that is, you're just caught up in drama. And then you're torn between other issues that have nothing to do with survival. You invite religion into your intimacy models. You invite your mom and dad into your intimacy models. You invite social judgment into your intimacy models. All of those things will undermine your the functionality of the theater of of reproduce and improvement of the species. You follow what I'm saying, Vin? Z, I'd like your perspective on a common challenge that many people face. People may buy into this idea of intimacy. Maybe they understand the purpose of a relationship as you describe it. They want a partner where they can be intimate, where they can support one another. And yet, they just can't seem to find the right person. So they go online, but they're not meeting anyone online. They're trying to meet people through friends. They're just not having success. They feel like everyone they meet is incompatible with them for some reason. And as time goes on, they begin to despair because they think, I'm not getting any younger. I've really been at this for a long time. Maybe I'm just never going to find the right person. Maybe it's just not possible for me to find that level of intimacy. How would you advise someone who's in this situation? Well, that's some bitter medicine. I mean, it goes back to what we talked about. There's the bitter medicine. People make uh, very long-term choices for short-term decisions. Uh, we have a clock. We have a, a window of time that we are very attractive to mates uh, physically and a slightly longer window of time that we, we find intellectually attractive. And oftentimes the ego will invade and it will overblow you. You will, you will overvalue yourself. And uh, interesting enough, I mean, that's what a lot of the theme of porn is based on. They have really beautiful women with very unattractive men. So the people that are, who enjoy porn will say, wow, this very unattractive man can get this really beautiful woman. I can do the same. Women are sucked into romance novels where some um, exotic, well-built guy will meet um, this uh, frumpy person and just fall in love with her personality. So we've been misled by a lot of things. And so that's where we have to kind of wake up. You attract what you are. If you're working on yourself, you're going to have a very uh, boutique community of people who are working on themselves that you will pick from, you will go with. Uh, if you 
are someone who is working on self-enlightenment. You'll find that you will only know people like that and your chances of meeting someone who values and supports your views will be the same. If you are shut in, um, you will meet no one because you are a shut in. So if you're a shut in that's online looking for someone who's outgoing, um, those things are diametrically opposed. So you can just write that off. So you have to be what you're looking for, right? You have to um, value and pursue and open yourself up to that bitter medicine of who you are. Look at yourself. I tell people all the time, they say, well, you know, I want somebody that I'm really attracted to. I get guys all the time I'm working with and says, well, I want a, a, a cute girl with a PhD who's a, a spinning instructor on the side, has a great body, real sharp. And I said, well, you have to be that person yourself. You have to maybe, you know, lose 60, 70 pounds, read a few books, be interesting because you attract what you like. So this is, again, is a value system that skews the purpose of. The purpose of other people is not to be your toy and your plaything in some sort of uh, single direction relationship where you're getting all the benefits. Every day you hear people write these unbelievable lists of what they expect from someone in their life but there's no reciprocity. So right there, the whole idea of relationship and intimacy does not even exist in their blueprint of life. That means that person serves your whims and needs. Well, then that's where you have to start supplementing that gathering with something else. So what men do is they make themselves very wealthy. So in lieu of having a personality, right? in lieu of being physically attractive, in lieu of having character, they make lots of money to fill in the holes, right? To fill in the holes for what they lack. So that's a great strategy uh, that requires a bit more maintenance than most people want. Well, I lack attractiveness. I lack a personality. I lack character. I lack a soul. So each one of them I have commoditized. I think, is that the right word, Ben? And, and I've said each of these things is worth X amount. So if I make $10 million, I can have no personality. And I can fill in that lack of personality with material offering. So that, that's it. But if a person knows it, it's okay. It's when you don't know it, when you go into this, and then that's when it's, you understand what you're working with is, is very uh, a dysfunctional model. On the other hand, a person can assess what they have and say, here's what I'd like in my life, and here are the resources I have available, and I want the purpose of a person in my life is fill in the blanks. And be, be honest with yourself. Be very honest with yourself. Opposites don't attract. Like attracts like. This is a myth. People will look at people and say, oh, you're completely opposite. No, we complement each other. We fill in the hole. It's a left and right arm relationship. And that is ideal. So 
if you're the left or right arm, you have to be able to carry your, your load. You have to be able to maximize your symmetry. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I do think it ties in nicely to our previous discussion on bitter medicine. It's really a question of what are you bringing to the table? Are you presenting yourself in a way that other people find attractive? Are you fit if you want to find someone who's fit? And frankly, are you putting in the time? I think that's one thing that my wife did really well. She told me that before she met me, she was dating, she was meeting people. She treated it like a second job. She had a spreadsheet. She had a set of people. She knew who she was seeing on what day, what she'd worn, <laughs> where she wanted to go. And it sounded like a lot. It sounded overwhelming, but it worked. It got the job done. So I do think that working on yourself, putting in the time and the effort and having realistic expectations makes all the sense in the world. You touched on something which I think is maybe an interesting transition point. You talked about how a lot of men, in lieu of having a personality, in lieu of having a soul, they'll make a lot of money. And this actually brings us to discussions about career. We've talked about career or a job as a way to get a paycheck and a way to use that paycheck to survive. At a very primal level, the job gives us resources. Those resources mean that we can eat, we can turn the lights on, we can take care of our family, we can make sure that we have a roof over our head. But people use that job in all different ways. and. There are a lot of people who just want money for the sake of money, either because they want to accumulate the money or because they want to use it to satisfy some other purpose. So the size of that paycheck has to keep on increasing and increasing because they're using it to fill voids or they're using it to buy experiences and buy recognition. How do you think about that? If we're defining job as a way to get a paycheck, how should we think about what that paycheck needs to be, and what we're willing to give of ourselves in exchange for that money. Well, look, we've decided that money is a energy commodity. It's a metric of energy. It is a, a token of an energetic exchange. And it's worth X amount. When Bitcoins come in, there will be an agreement that so many Bitcoins are worth whatever it is. So as long as you're clear on that, again, as long as you're clear on that, you can find functionality. If you're a man who knows that, look, I lack personality. I don't really have the value to work on myself, but I do long for an intimate partner. I, I want uh, sex then you know that in exchange for you uh, reading a few books and working on self-improvement and getting a gym membership, you'd rather spend your time another way. So you, you become, uh, figure out a way to make lots of money. And then you can buy company. And that's okay. That's okay if you're honest about it. The problem is, as I've seen, is when people do buy company, they're often upset that there is a price on their time. And that's when it's dysfunctional because you need to state the purpose of me working and making money 
is so that I could buy company at a certain rate. And the going rate of the company I prefer is 500 an hour, 1,000 an hour, whatever it is. And you then know exactly how much you make. That's very functional. It's when you find yourself wanting something other than that that is problematic. Now, for other people who have great personalities and they find somebody attractive, that, that's not the equation they need to work with. But again, there's a part of function. There's a part of purpose that requires a certain amount of transparency and honesty with yourself. You are what you put into life. You are what you get out of life. And if you're not getting what you want out of life, you must be open to adjustment, development, involution, and evolution. So you can't be rigid. One thing you cannot be is rigid. And you cannot be a slave to your ego. Learn that from the guy that buys company. He has, he's actually surrendered his ego and has put a price on it. And he's open about aware of it. We can look at many social figures of the day and you'll see them with their partner. And you say, my God, how does this person possibly sleep naked next to this person? Well, there's a lot of things you'll do for the right price for many people. There are other people that don't have a price. So they have a more mundane relationship. They're with somebody that looks over at them and likes them and feels okay with where they're at. There are other people that for the right price, they'll swallow the vomit. Right? So they have to decide what's their price. Well, there are other people that that's not a price for them. They don't, they're, they're not working in that, with, with, with that value system. Z, one of the reasons I love talking to you is that you take things that are absolutely ridiculous and you turn them into profound statements. So <laughs> we're talking about what's your price for the vomit What's your price to sleep next to someone that you find physically repulsive? And there are a couple of lessons that we can draw from this, even though it sounds ludicrous. I would say number one is your point about being clear on purpose is absolutely right. And you brought up the example of people who pay for other people's time, whether implicitly or explicitly. And if you're clear on that, it's great. It works out. What happens is that that's actually not what you want. You think you want that. But really, you want someone who likes you for you, who respects your personality, who is attracted to your animal magnetism, but you haven't put in the time and the effort to create that. So that creates inconsistency, that creates dysfunction, because you're trying to achieve something that's not possible, that requires some modification. In addition to being clear on purpose, I think the other aspect which is important particularly when we think about a job and there's no real standard for how much money one needs. For some people, it might be fifty dollars or $100,000 a year to support a family. For others in any big city like Los Angeles or New York, maybe you think you need a million dollars a year because you've got to pay for nannies and private schools and second homes. If you leave the U.S., that amount could be very modest. Maybe it's Five hundred to a thousand dollars a month that you're pulling in, and you can still meet your basic needs. So, being able to define what the purpose of a job is and what paycheck you need, it's important to also consider the sustainability 
of what you're doing. And I'd like your thoughts on this in a second. I'll just observe that if we define the purpose of a job as being able to support a certain lifestyle, whether it's material possessions, whether it's the company of other people, whether it's buying friends and buying status and buying fame, that's all well and good. And the purpose is half of the equation. The other half is, is that sustainable? And what am I providing in exchange for that? Because if I'm killing myself every day going to work, trying to make enough money to support this lifestyle, that's not going to work. Eventually, I'm going to fall apart. So not having sustainability is a form of dysfunction. Could you comment a little bit on that and how to think about fine-tuning this purpose and where the purpose is sustainable and where we get trapped up and try to do things that ultimately bring us pain? Well, of course. I mean, that's a big part of functionality. Your equation of function has to include a, a component of sustainability. So your algebra of function, state the purpose, and within that purpose also, is it sustainable? So in some cases, it is uh, mildly sustainable, meaning you can grade sustainability on how long can I sustain it? And how much does it cost me to sustain that, the pace? And then so you look at the trajectory of your efforts. If you are uh, celebrities I've worked with, entertainers, and when they're in a high level of the entertainment game, they have oftentimes huge expenses. The cost of moving their lifestyle or maintaining their lifestyle is astronomical. Thus, they must perform, work on their relevancy to an extreme, okay, to an extreme. And as time goes on, it wears them down. So now they're doing drugs and all sorts of things to keep up. Now they have the addictions, the wear and tear on the body, and the inevitable decline of that ability to maintain that pace. You follow me? So that is not sustainable, right? They agree, look, this isn't sustainable. I cannot keep doing this. So the wise ones ratcheted back a bit. They start to look at other ways of living. They uh, turn inward. You see it all the time. This, veg this artist or that artist has become vegetarian, went to the um, Vipassana or something like that. They were wise enough to realize at that point, this, what I'm doing, I cannot keep doing it. It doesn't work anymore. And so you have to look at that equation, that sustainability quotient. And then from there, you can develop a much better overall view of what you're doing. When you look at yourself and you know that it costs X amount to uh, maintain this exchange of energy. And what can I do over the year or a lifetime? It's not unlike the military has something called logistical command, right? So logistical command assesses what it costs in manpower, material, and so on to wage a battle. So if you have a tank battle, there's so much more to it than an army tank getting the battlefield and shooting at people. This is what 
the average person doesn't understand. So when you wage a tank battle, you understand that an M1 Abrams tank requires about 10 gallons of fuel for every mile it goes, right? And thus, if you're going to drive somewhere in that tank, you have to have a fuel truck that follows it, right? Fuel trucks follow. So that's something that the logistical man has to decide when they're going to do a tank battle. So if the tank battle is 30 miles, we know we're going to use hundreds of gallons of fuel to get 30 miles. And so we're going to have to refuel a couple of times. We're going to have to carry this fuel truck is going to follow us around into the battle. Now, with the fuel truck and the tank following the battle, you know that the treads on the tank last 10 miles. So every 10 miles, we have to jack up the tank and replace the treads. Right? You follow me there, Vin? So we're going to replace the treads on the tank. Now, we got to have a couple of guys in tow trucks following the tank and the gas truck. But you know what? That gas truck needs its own maintenance crew also. So we have another group of guys, kind of like the military's version of uh, AAA, following them around. So for every tank rolling down the road, you have to have an entourage of maintenance and support crews. So you're going to throw 20, 30 tanks into battle. You're going to have just as many support personnel and crew and so forth. So logistic amount goes back to the commander and say, you know, it's not really worth having a tank battle. It just costs too much. So each of us in our own life have to look at what it costs to support our life strategy. What does it cost to support the strategy? If, if I want to be in the middle of everything, I want to make it to every party Friday night, be at every banquet, every it thing, if I want to keep up with the neighbors, it's going to take a lot to roll that tank down the street. And I may decide, my logistical man may decide that this battle isn't worth fighting. It's not a sustainable battle because it requires too many extraordinary resources. So ask yourself, does your life require extraordinary resources for you to express it, for you to exact upon that life? If so, do a revaluation. That's why it always comes down to me. Look around, look left or right of you. You got your loved ones, your family, your friends around you, your kids, whatever. What are the most valuable things in there? If you had to throw something overboard, who would it be? Would it be the baby kid, the big kid? Would it be the wife? Would it be the in-laws? They're usually the first to go when you start cleaning your life up, right? When you're trying to recapture intimacy and closeness and uh, the ship is sinking and you got to keep it afloat till you get to shore. First thing that goes is usually the in-laws, right? Because you got to unencumber your life in order for you to have uh, this sustainability. But again, you have to ask yourself, is it sustainable? Uh, for the guys that are working really hard so they could have uh, women far more attractive than they would get if they were broke in their life, they know they can't rest. They know they have to be there when the bell clings in the morning and when it goes off at night and they have to be ready to do it over and over again. So they have anxiety all weekend because they know they have to, they have to make that, that margin in order to maintain that. Eventually they realize that this is taking a tremendous toll because I got to take drugs just to stay up. I have to take drugs to go to sleep. That's when we know something is wrong. It's no longer sustainable.
If we have anxiety and we have worry and we have all these different things going on in our life, the logistics in our life are off and we have to make some adjustments to get back to a sustainable logistical model in our life. We have to have a better strategy as we fight these battles. All of life is strategy. So let's modify our formula. We talked last week about purpose, the importance of purpose as a way to get away from dysfunction. Let's also ask, to your point, Z, is that purpose sustainable? Or is the lifestyle required to support that purpose sustainable? And I'll add one more word in this formula that we have, and that's attainable. Can we actually attain the purpose given our circumstances? So what do I mean by that? Well, let's think about a job situation. A lot of people want to find satisfaction and meaning in what they do. They want to go out. They want recognition. They want to change the world. I think you'd said at one point, people want to be the grand overlord of the company. But there are only so many grand overlords. There are only so many jobs where people can go out and affect this great change. A lot of jobs are mundane. Some people have to pick up the trash. Some people have to push paper around. And if you're a janitor in an organization and your purpose is to be the next Steve Jobs and revolutionize the computing industry, it ain't going to happen. So we have to make sure that we understand the purpose of what we're doing, that we can sustain the activities needed to support that purpose. And finally, we have to ensure that the circumstances we find ourselves in make that purpose attainable. So another example is if you're in a relationship and you're in a relationship with a violent, abusive, psychotic, and you're expecting that you're going to work on this really hard and you're going to get to the point where you've got intimacy, you've got stability, that's also not going to happen. So I think having that awareness of what you're trying to achieve relative to the circumstances you're in becomes very important. Yeah, it's very important to pick your battles, right? Very important to pick the skirmishes in life and then do a, a, a very uh, clear and bitter assessment of what's in front of you. Um, I found that a lot of people that have simple jobs, the parking lot attendant, the janitor, they tend to be happier than most people because they've accepted their station in life and they don't define themselves by what they're doing for those hours. And so whenever I talk to the valet outside here, I always hang out with these guys, nice guys. Man, they have a great weekend. Whenever you don't see them, they come back with amazing stories about what they did with family and friends, what a good time they had. So they, they don't really define themselves by what they do. They look at that job as, as if you were collecting firewood for a picnic. Right. So there's a lesson to learn from that. They've accepted their station in life and they've also designed in their life the, the joys and comforts that are sustainable for them. So. When you look at relationship dynamics. You're in a relationship to have contentment, enjoyment, intimacy. If you also want to be a therapist, then there's a conflict of interest right there. There's a reason doctors shouldn't have sex with their clients because it's a sick person coming to you looking for help. 
if you're in a relationship with a person that is sick, you can't be their doctor. And if you want a healthy person, don't date someone that's sick. And if you're sick, you should be by yourself until you've corrected that illness so it won't be a, a contagion to other people. So there are some things in this formula that you have to really peel away the color of personality and ego so you can see what's going on. And from there, you arrive at the clear functionality, clear statement of purpose. You arrive at a place of sustainability, and your life is then content. Uh, yeah, no, not everybody can be the CEO. And really, the question is, why does everybody want to be the CEO? So that even when you ask that question right there, you almost answer it to yourself. Do you really want to be the CEO? So you're looking for what? Recognition? Popularity to do what? What is the prime directive? Reproduce, improve, the thesis, survive. How does that help you survive? If you happen to become the CEO, or you see that, and then find out where the roof of that pursuit is so you don't get lost. A lot of these people that you admire, when you get into the, the seed of their life, you wouldn't really want to trade places with them. They're not as happy as you thought they were. When you see the life of the internet influencer, when you peel away everything, you really feel, get to see and witness how extremely empty it is, how cold it is, and how it is nothing more than a facade. And ask yourself, do you want your life to be a facade? And that is why, as you work on this and the intelligence arises, which is the ability to discern and discriminate, you will find that surrendering to nature, being a subject of nature, a student of gravity, so to say, that right around you is, is, is contentment and sustainability and functionality. If you peel away the distractions, if you peel away that that is useless, and it goes, it, we can go back and forth. We talked many a times that the Tao tells us, if you seek the approval of others, you'll always be their slaves. Nobody will ever approve of you. Just approve of yourself and you'll be surrounded by people that accept you, enjoy you, and think you're great. If you don't acknowledge that, then you'll constantly be looking for people to tell you you're okay, even in your own mind. You'll become schizophrenic and you'll have a voice telling you you're never good enough. You're never good enough. So you, even, even you will rebel against yourself. Even you will disapprove of you when you leave that up to other people. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I follow you 100%. I think what you're saying ties into the sustainability concept because we all want a pat on the back. We all want some affirmation, some approval. It feels good if you get a round of applause. But how sustainable is it? It's like a drug. You need more and more just to feel the same way, and it becomes impossible to maintain. You can't keep on going to higher highs forever. Ultimately, it requires too much time, too much energy. Ultimately, to your point, Z, it becomes very cold and empty. And Jim Carrey commented on this. It might have been a year ago. He said something like, it becomes extremely frightening when you realize that you've achieved everything 
that you ever could have wanted in this world, and you're still not happy. Well, if that's the mindset, and a lot of people don't realize that that is their mindset, yet it's an implicit mindset that you just need more and more and more, how is that a sustainable life? How are you ever going to get to a point where you feel good about yourself and you actually have time or an opportunity to enjoy the moments that you have on this earth? It's not going to happen. So I think that formula, being able to identify the purpose of whatever it is that you're doing, making sure that that purpose is something you can sustain, and making sure that it's realistic, that's a formula for feeling better and getting away from a lot of this dysfunction that unfortunately has become pervasive. So we've hit on a few different areas, Z, and one final area which I'd like you to expand on a bit is this idea of physical health. You've talked about the body being a vehicle to move us easily through life, to express ourselves, to allow us to connect with others. We've talked about some basic standards of physical health. Could you go into those in a little more detail? What is the level of health that most people need to live well? And if you're not at that level, how can you go about getting to that level? Well, we've come up with different standards of, of health over the years, right? We want to keep our BP in the 120s, under the 130s, right? We know that. So that requires a modest amount of exercise and a reasonable observation of diet and nutrition uh, and healthy rest cycles. If you're not getting those things, you're not healthy. If you're not healthy, you don't have a, a, a you can't animate your life in the way of your choosing. You're not free at all. You're a slave to disease. When it comes to uh, fitness, right, we used to have this idea of a body mass index. The body mass index is the proportion of fat to lean muscle, right? And it varies a little bit based on your body structure, but it's, it's, it's around uh, 25 or lower you want in terms of a body mass index. And you can do that basic pinch test. So if the length of your legs is greater than the diameter of your waist, you're overweight. If you're overweight, you're laboring your body's joints, your heart, and everything. Real simple stuff. Nothing personal, nothing uh, derogatory. We live in an interesting world where, because we have the luxury of sitting all day, we have normalized the dysfunction of inactivity. We, in order to live, we move. In order to reproduce, we move. In order to survive, we move. If you're not moving, uh, you are not following the order of nature. We didn't make the rules, we just abide by them. We didn't make up this standard, this is the physics of being. We know that centenarians typically are, are of lean body, and those centenarians that have sound mind are fluid in thought and intelligent. All around the world, when they find people that have are healthy in their 90s all the way up to 100 years old before they die, uh, they have certain features that we want to emulate if we want to live a long life. Of course, there's nothing we could do about the intervention of fate. Airplane wing falls out the air and hits you or something. A tiger escapes from the zoo and mauls you. Nothing you could do about that. But everything else you can have some sway over. Diseases are not normal. The, the cancer, heart attack, 
stomach issues, all these things, these are not a normal part of our life. These are things we've imported into our life through living a dysfunctional life, a normalized dysfunctional life. So thus, cancer is normal. Thus, digestive problems are normal. Uh, they, 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 so this is a normalized dysfunction. So when it comes to fitness, a reasonable amount of consistent exercise within a range, uh, avoid doing too little and avoid doing too much, but find a happy medium. Then once you found that happy medium, you can customize it based on you. I enjoy having a lean body and muscular tone because I feel fit. I feel viable. I, I don't feel vulnerable in any situation. Um, I can move about freely. So I work on that. When we get off of our, our, our task today, I'm going to go do a few hundred pull-ups and things like that. Uh, jog around a little bit. Uh, punch the bag and press a little bit of iron because I, I, it calms me because my animal is that animal and that feels good to my animal, right? So everybody has to kind of live up to their primal archetype. What animal are you and what do you need to do to express your life and build a workout program around that? And the workout program does a few things. It's, it, Beyond being a gym rat and doing that, it's, a, it's the time to do moving meditation, the I am meditation. I'm me. So all your life, you should check in. Do a power walk, right? Uh, move around a little bit. Put on some music and dance. If you find you can't do that and you're getting winded and you're falling over because you can't keep up with the latest uh, Cardi B hit or Post Malone or something, then you know you're not in good health. If your heart races and you're dizzy and get lightheaded, uh, then you're in bad shape and you need to get in better shape because uh, I had a guy the other day came to me and says, look, I, I, I'm not fit. I have dizzy spells when I walk up the stairs, uh, but I'm really concerned with I want to be able to have sex. So can I take the pills and can you uh, give me the uh, sex performance pills? I said, well, there's a warning on the pill that says simply, if you're not fit enough to have sex, don't take this pill. Why? Because you're not fit enough to have sex. So there's something wrong with your body. You need to get that together first. Get your blood flow together first. Get, your, get in front of that diabetes. Uh, uh, lose some weight. Because nature's telling you it has shut off your reproduction because you are not healthy. Same thing I get women say, I am not fertile. I can't have a baby. Well, you're not supposed to. Because you're too anxious, you're too uh, obsessed, you're too, uh, too much anxiety. You're never resting, you're on the go all the time, you're too urgent. That's not a good time to have a baby. So your reproductive mechanism is, is on hold. So you need to use these things as gauges. You feel like you can't walk up a flight of stairs, um, then you need to work on that. You need to uh, find it. You, you don't adjust to it, you don't find an escalator. You don't get a hover round. You uh, start peeling that body weight down, get your muscle tone up, and there's a way to do it because if you can wake up in the morning and breathe, there's hope for you. When you uh, uh, there's still life left in you. So you have to find a new nominal for yourself that includes a fitness regimen. Does that make sense, Ben? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you actually touched on my next question, which is, if we've gotten to the point where we can meet the basic purpose that we've talked about, 
So let's say that our health checks out, blood pressure looks okay, we're lean enough, we're not going to win any ESPN fitness contests, but we can move around through life. So we're good on the fitness side. In our work, we're making enough money, we're not killing ourselves, we're able to take care of our family, we've got that covered. How do we think about evolving the purpose, evolving what we're doing? So now I've got the paycheck covered. Can I start thinking about a job which is not just going to provide me a paycheck, but will also provide some more satisfaction or allow me to have some more impact? Or I've got my basic fitness down. Can I take it to another level so I can feel like I am lean and I am muscular and I really stand out in terms of my strength and my fitness? What's the right way to think about the evolution of the purpose? Is this something that's okay to do? And how do we do it in a way where it doesn't become dysfunctional? It doesn't become ego-driven? Well, always be aware that the ego never rests. And so, again, go back to purpose. First, real simple is uh, when I was younger, I was a world-class athlete. I'm older now, and I have no desire to compete or participate in that, and I'm happy with letting uh, other people carry that, uh, that mantle. Um, yet I, I, I like being fit. It feels good uh, having been on the planet six decades and able to do things and move about freely. So I, I know what I want to do. So knowing yourself is a big part of that equation. Then know yourself. And then as you explore something, enjoy it. When it becomes laborious, tedious, uh, it's one more thing that's on your schedule. You're rushing to CrossFit and you're racing across downtown to get to spin cycle, whatever it is, then it's too much. It's too much. If you look forward to doing that and it's your downtime, you really enjoy it, you have a circle of friends that meet you over at the cycling place or the boxing hut or whatever you're going to, and then it's a good thing. If you become obsessed and you find that you're repeating cycles with that, you find that you're super disappointed with yourself and you're looking at gauges and monitors of all kinds, then that's too far. It's too much. It's, it's taking more away from you than it's giving to you. Okay? All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we've gone through this topic in a fair amount of detail. What we've tried to do is talk about the meaning of dysfunction, the fact that if parts of our life aren't serving their intended purpose, then they're dysfunctional and that dysfunction is going to cause us pain. We've talked about identifying the purpose of something as a way to cut through that dysfunction. And beyond just looking at the purpose, looking at whether we can sustain that purpose and attain that purpose. So that purpose has to be realistic. It's got to fit into the rest of our life. It can't start to consume us. That's another form of dysfunction. And finally, we've provided some diagnostics around what it means to be functional in relationships, in physical health, in jobs. So at this point, we'd like to hear from all of you. So far, this has been a conversation between myself and Z, but send us your comments. If you have questions about how to apply anything that we've talked about, if you have anecdotes that you want to share, write in, and we'll either respond to those comments or if we get enough comments, we might devote some time in the next discussion to covering questions that we've gotten from the audience. Thank you as always. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support. Much love, much peace to everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. 
If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.